So this is the moment when if you have a smartphone or you have your tablet, you want to open up the Evangel app and on there are different announcements, all the information about what's going on, but also the scripture that we're going to look at today. You could take notes within that app and personalize it for yourself so that you can follow along. If you've been here for any amount of time, you know we've been going through a series called The Story. And we started it last fall in September, and we're taking, it's, it's basically going through the whole Bible from beginning to end chronologically. And so we started in September, it's going through till the summertime, and uh, today actually is going to be the last chapter of what we call the Old Testament, the Old Testament being everything that comes before Jesus. And so today is the last chapter of the Old Testament, and then we're going to take a break for a few weeks. we got some other things going on until after Easter, and then we're going to come back to the story after that. But it's been quite a journey so far, and uh, I hope you've been finding it helpful because we've been trying to not only just hit the little points in Scripture, but also... um, help you understand, help all of us understand the history and the timeline and the big picture of all that God is doing in his chosen people and through his chosen people, uh, through all of the, and so you see this big story of God at work through the ups and through the downs. And you see right from the beginning, right after creation, when the first sin happened and, and the relationship with God was broken, God immediately drops a hint and goes, it won't always be this way. I'm going to, I'm going to fix it. It's going to be better. And then he makes this covenant with Abraham. And he says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth, all people on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham, and through your descendants, and to your offspring, I will give you this land. And so he keeps on, we just keep coming back to that covenant promise over and over and over again as we go through the big picture of the story. So let me just one more time remind you of what has happened. I'm going to do it at top speed because if you've been here, you already know what's happening. So we went through creation and then we talked about Noah and the flood and we talked about Abraham and then Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons. One of them is named Joseph. Joseph goes into Egypt. Joseph brings the rest of the family into Egypt, starts off well, ends badly. Now they're a nation and they've been moved out by Moses. Moses brings them out. They wander around the desert for a while. And then Joshua takes them into the promised land. And then some judges come up and they, you know, have little moments in history where little judges come up and and deal with specific situations. And then they say, we want a king. And so then we have some kings and there's some good ones. And then there's some really awful ones. And then the nation splits and now there's kings above and kings below. And they all start with the letter J. No, they don't, but a lot of them do. And uh, most of the kings are bad. And then the people, the the nation is invaded um, by different empires and, and people are carried into exile. And then after 70 years goes by, God moves on the heart of Cyrus and he says to the Jewish people, you can go home. Okay. That's a lot of territory I just covered in about three sentences there. That's the big picture of what's been happening. And that's where we're out. So the first group has gone back to Jerusalem. You'll, you'll remember, and they're building, they rebuilt the temple. It took them a little bit, took them a while to get going on it, but they eventually did finish it. And then meanwhile, some of them had stayed in Persia because it's now the Persian empire. So some had gone home to Jerusalem, worked on rebuilding the temple. Some have stayed in Persia. And so Daniel stayed in Persia. 
Persia with his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, uh, and, and he has influence and he has power and he has impact in the Persian empire. And then last week we talked about Esther and Mordecai. Esther becomes queen and she, she has all kinds of influence and impact in the Persian empire. And there's, so there's Jewish people, there's God's chosen people outside of their nation influencing history influencing the world that they're in. And so today, we're kind of tying that all together again, and we're going to look at Ezra, we're going to look at Nehemiah and the prophet Malachi. And the timing is going to be set about 50 or 60 years after the temple was rebuilt in Jerusalem. Okay? Let me tell you the story. Here's how it goes. Ezra chapter 7, it says, During the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, and then there's a whole bunch of names, the son of this guy, the son of this guy, the son of this guy, because it all goes back. He's establishing his credentials uh, that, that genealogically he is descended from the, the original chief priest, Aaron, who was back in Moses' day. Okay, so during the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, all the way back to the son of Aaron, the chief priest, this Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king had granted him everything he asked. The king of Persia had granted Ezra everything he asked for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Now, I just want to pause there because there's three things that I want you to notice, okay? If you were here last week for Queen Esther, a.k.a. Captain Marvel, if you were here, we talked about, that's right, We talked about, by the way, somebody told me in first service, they went to see the movie because I talked about it last week and they liked it. So good. So anyway, so last week we talked about Esther and she, the king at that time, his name was Xerxes. Artaxerxes is his son. And so Esther, Esther, her, her stepson is now the king of Persia, Artaxerxes. And she, there's a real good possibility that she is still, or has been all this time, still has been influential in the Persian court. So she's, she's maybe still there and still influencing things. The second thing I want you to notice is Ezra, who is this, um, Jewish priest, and he is deeply passionate, deeply passionate about God's word. It's so important to him. It's said over and over and over again in scripture, this deep passion that he has for God's word. And the third thing that I want you to notice is Ezra is highly favored by Artaxerxes. This, this Jewish priest who cares about God's word is highly favored by the king of Persia, who's the stepson probably of Queen Esther. And this is, and you go, well, that's, I mean, that's interesting, nice trivia. No, it's important. Here's why I want you to notice those things. You are going to see throughout this story today, and in fact, you already have seen, because we've talked about it, uh, we've talked as we've looked at the temple being rebuilt, and about um, Daniel impacting the Persian Empire, and about God moving on the heart of Cyrus, and the people being told, you can go back home, you can rediscover and rebuild your identity as a people group, which is a huge, a huge move for them. And you see Jewish people holding positions of influence in Persia, all of this is gone. Today, you're going to see it again, that there's a Persian king that is involved in giving favor to Israel. And I I just want you to notice that and, and maybe have the same question I do of why? Why is this Persian empire being so good to the people of Israel? Why are they showing them such favor? Why are they treating them so well? And you go, I don't know, Patty's just a really nice Bible story. Let me just, can you imagine the Canadian government doing that for the church? There, see, that just landed. 
Okay? And so here, why is the Persian government doing it? Now, I'm sure the answer is complex. I'm not going to pretend it's not. There's a lot of factors. But let me just offer you one idea. Might be just a crazy thought. Okay? So maybe about 100 years or more before that, when God's people were first taken into exile, the Bible is clear that God is the one that took them there. We've talked about that. The Bible is clear that even though they didn't want to be there, God had them there. And they were not happy. They just wanted to go home. We just want to go home to Jerusalem. And they had all these false prophets who were saying, oh, pff, you're going to go home like any day now. Don't unpack your suitcase. It's going to be fine. And Jeremiah is the only guy, the only true prophet who's going, actually, you're not going home. You're not going home for 70 years. It's a different message. He goes, for 70 years, you're going to be in exile. And here's what he says. And we've talked about this. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens in this place you don't want to be and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, get this, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, what? You too will prosper. Now, here's a crazy thought. Maybe they listened to Jeremiah. And maybe they did that. Maybe they actually did what God told them to do. And they actually got involved in the place where God had brought them. And they became part of life there and became part of the economy there and and planted gardens and ate what they produced and prayed and worked for the peace of the prosperity of the city they were in. And maybe now, about a century or so later, maybe there's a reason that, that, that they're experiencing the favor they're experiencing because God said if they did this, then they would prosper as well. And maybe that's what's happening. I mean, just a crazy thought. Maybe if we obey God, he will do what he says he will do. Just turn the person beside you and go, well, that's probably just crazy talk. Okay? I'm just going to leave that there. Let's go back to Ezra. We're not going to read through all the scripture today. Often we do. But today I just want to summarize it because I want to get through it a little bit. And so we have Ezra. So we have Ezra, this Jewish priest who has a deep, deep passion for God's word. And he is sent from Babylon to Jerusalem with a letter from the king to check on the temple and check on the people. The king has told him, go back to Jerusalem and make sure God is being worshipped properly. Right? Go back, make sure the sacrifices are being done right. Go back, make sure that God's word is being followed and that people are living the way they're supposed to do. And by the way, the king who has sent Ezra to do this is also funding it. He's funding the whole thing. And so Ezra, he's just this really humble guy. And when he writes about it in, in scripture, he just writes, you know, isn't it great that God put this into the king's heart? Isn't that wonderful? And so he takes several thousand more Jewish people back to Jerusalem. And he gets there and there are some things that are wrong and he corrects that and he leads the people in repentance. And that's a whole story that I just not going to get into today, but he leads the people into repentance, into getting back on track where they've gotten off track. He does what he's supposed to do. That's Ezra. Okay. Then we have this guy named Nehemiah. 13 years later, after Ezra has gone back to Jerusalem, Nehemiah, he's also in a place of influence in the Persian government. He's the cupbearer to the king. That means he's got really high security clearance. He's very influential. It's an important job. 
And he hears from his brother that Jerusalem is in trouble. And this bothers him. Not the temple. The temple's fine. But the city of Jerusalem is in trouble. Nehemiah hears this because he hears that the walls around the city are still broken down. They haven't been fixed. They haven't been repaired since it was destroyed. And it makes them very vulnerable then to their enemies. It would be like a, a, a city without a wall at that time would be like a city today, you know, without, a, without a police services or, or without security of any kind. I mean, it's just, it's just a potential disaster. There's just, you're completely vulnerable. And Nehemiah is so distressed when he hears about this. He goes, how can this be? How can this be when the people have been back in the city for so long? So he's really upset about it, and he prays, and he fasts, and he tries to hide his grief from the king because you're actually supposed to only show happiness in front of the king. You can't show sadness. He might kill you. So, and so he's trying to, hey, hey, everything's fine, and it's not fine, and the king can see that everything is not fine. And so, he, um, and, and so the king asks him what's wrong, and he goes, I'm just so upset. My home city, Jerusalem, the walls are still broken down. So the king goes, well, we've got to fix that. I mean, he's already sent Ezra back. He goes, well, listen, you need to go back, and I'll fund you and, and get that taken care of. Let's get the walls built back up around Jerusalem. It's incredible. And so Nehemiah gets back to Jerusalem, and, and Nehemiah's story, oh, my goodness, you just need to read it. You, you really need to read your Bibles, okay? Because the story of Nehemiah, his leadership is the stuff of, of seminars and workshops and books. He is one of the most incredible, fantastic leaders in all of Scripture. So I'm going to give you the short form, okay? He gets back to Jerusalem, and, and he does his own research, first of all. He's not taking anybody else's word for what's going on. So he goes out at night when nobody else is paying attention. And he examines the wall for himself, sees where the problems are, sees what needs to be done. Then he rallies the people and he goes, we got to get this done. And they follow him. They go, okay. Now you go, well, that's not a, listen, there's a, there's a leadership guy out there, you know, that has been around for a long time. Some of you have heard of him, John Maxwell. And he says, if you think you're leading and no one is following, all you're doing is taking a walk. Okay. Nehemiah is not just taking a walk. He is leading. When he says, let's go, the people go, okay. So he's got this tremendous leadership skill that he has. And so he's leading the people, follow him. And then, of course, you know, because anytime you try to accomplish something worth accomplishing, somebody doesn't like it. And so their enemies start to come. And they try several tactics against Nehemiah. First, they just start mocking him. Oh, you're so stupid. You know, it's crazy what you're doing. And he just, he just prays. Doesn't even bother answering them. He just prays, which is a pretty good response. And then they, they start threatening him, and they threaten him out loud, and the other people are hearing the threats, and so the people get a little bit afraid. And so he goes, okay, let's just, let's just organize. We can do this. We're gonna, and, he, and he creates this balance where, you know, half the people are security, and half the people are laying bricks, and some of them are working with a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other, and he's got them all spaced out, and he creates an emergency plan. If you hear the trumpet blow, everybody race here because we got a problem. And then so he sets out this whole plan, strategizes the whole thing, and then he he just pulls them together and he goes, listen, don't be afraid. Remember God. You serve God. It's, it's going to be okay. We're going to, and then they just all get back to work because that's the kind of leader that he is. And by the way, he's not a leader that just stands, you know, back and tells everybody else. He's right in there working with them, laying bricks with them, helping to get it done. So then, so then the enemies go, well, the mocking didn't work and the threats didn't work. So then they send a message to Nehemiah and they go, listen, we need to have a meeting with you. And they send him this four times. They send him a message. We need to have a meeting with you. And I love his response. This is what he says. I am carrying on a great project. 
Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? (laughs) And I just, just love that. Okay, that's a separate message. But can I just throw out to you that if you're busy doing what God has told you to do, you don't actually have to respond to every distraction that comes your way. You don't have to respond to every demand that comes your way. You could just go, I'm sorry, I'm busy. I'm doing what God asked me to do. You just, you just go away. Okay? So I love that. Separate message. And then, uh, then because he won't meet with them, then they send him a letter. And it says it's an unsealed letter. So that means, you know, the word can spread. And so it's filled with false accusations. We heard you're doing this, and we heard you're going to create an uprising, and we heard this, and we're going to tell on you to the Persian king. And does he freak out and panic and start? No. He says, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. (laughs) Love him. So down to earth, so practical. Nothing shakes this guy. He just kept working. He kept praying. He kept leading. He's just this fantastic leader. And so the Bible says the wall was completed around the city in 52 days. Boom. That's done. And then, and then this incredible thing happens. Okay, this is what I want you to see today. In Nehemiah chapter 8 or page 300 on the story, it says all the people then came together as one in the square before the water gate. And they, the people, told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the guy who loves God's word, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. And he read it aloud from daybreak to noon. Daybreak to noon. Listen, some of you think I preach long? Daybreak to noon, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. So Ezra opened the book. He opens the Bible. And all the people could see him because they had built a platform. He was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. And Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, And all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. And then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then while this is happening, the Levites, who are like assistants to the priests, the Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what it was that was being read. Now, I just want you to, I want you to notice this, okay? The people gathered together. They've rebuilt the wall. The people gathered together and they call Ezra, this priest who loves God's word, and they say, tell us what God's word says. I mean, there's just, this incredible hunger to know what God says. There's this this sacred, um, holy respect for God's word. Tell us what God's word says. So Ezra starts reading, and he reads for hours, and they they listen. And then the Levites, the assistants, they're as far as we can tell, they're like spreading out throughout the crowd while Ezra is reading God's word. And they're going, do you understand what he's just saying? Do you get what's happening here? Do you have any questions? Is there anything I can help? Yeah, because see, this goes back to here. And they're working, making sure that everybody understands what's happening. And the people then are so captured by what they hear. They're so captured by God's word. They all just start weeping. 
They start weeping with emotion that they are hearing God's word after so long. And then Nehemiah and Ezra and the leaders are going, no, 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 you don't have to do that. Don't cry. Don't weep. This is a holy day. This is a good day. You should definitely go eat and you should share your food with each other and you should celebrate because the joy of the Lord is your strength. So it's an amazing moment. So they do. And then the next day, they come together again and they say to Ezra, tell us what God's word says. And so he does. And he keeps reading from them. And they hear these ancient instructions. And one of the things they hear is, is about this ancient festival that Moses had told them to do. And it was going to be a, it's a festival where the Israelite people were supposed to come together and live in like temporary shelters for, for seven or eight days for a week or so. And so the people are listening. Ezra talk about this and they go, wait a minute, let's do that. <laughs> and so it says, so the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. And from the days of Joshua, okay, I'm just going to let you just... Ha- Joshua was a long way back. This is Joshua who brought them into the promised land. This is a long time. From the days of Joshua until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. And their joy was very great. And it's just amazing because they're like, Ezra, you need to tell us what does God's word says? And he tells them what God's word says, and they go, let's obey that. Let's do that. An immediate response to obey God's word. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God, and they celebrated the festival for seven days. And on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. And at that assembly, there was this solemn, sacred moment where there was repentance and there was prayer and there was a recommitment uh, to God. It's just this huge moment for them. And about the same time as all of this is happening, this prophet named Malachi, he's a contemporary with Ezra and with Nehemiah, and he's the last prophet of the Old Testament. And he brings a message from God. And they've rebuilt the temple. They've rebuilt the walls around the city. And Malachi's message essentially is, you also need to rebuild your lives. And he, he just addresses some, some really practical things. He talks about um, worship. And he goes, you know, you're being a little bit hypocritical in your worship. You're acting like it doesn't really matter. You're taking it really casually as if God doesn't care. You need to stop doing that. He talks to them about, about their marriages. He goes, you, you really have dropped to a low value of marriage. You're just breaking your marriage vows as if they don't matter, as if God doesn't care just without even a second thought. You, you, need, to get that, you need to get that together. And he, and he talks to them about their finances. He goes, you know, you need to tithe. You need to bring your finances to God's house. You need to bring your finances into alignment with what God's word says. And then he even talks about, he goes, you know, some of you are even just, you're just bad-mouthing God. Like, you're just not even speaking of him with respect and, and with, and with, with um, you're, just, you're just taking God for granted. And so he just addresses these practical things of their language and their money and their marriages and their worship. And something interesting happens as Malachi is bringing this message to the people, they respond. It says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 16, 
Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. This prophet brings a message, and the people gather together, talk about it, listen to it, and they pray, and they go, we're going to commit to God, and God hears their prayer. And they write it down so they won't forget. Can I just, something has changed in Israel's story. Something has shifted in Israel's story. And it's a quiet change. It's, it's not super dramatic. There's not, you know, fire falling from the sky or anything. But it's like there's some maturity that's starting to happen among the people. A little less drama. And, and, and maybe just this realization that has settled into them. We are God's people. We are God's people. And, and so there's, there's prayer that is happening. There, there's, there's value for good character. I mean, Nehemiah and Ezra repeatedly mentioned as men of integrity and faithfulness and perseverance and focus. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an emphasis on unity. The, the character, it really matters. There's this hunger, this new hunger for God's word. Tell us what the Bible says. Tell us what God's word says. And there is then this response and this commitment on the part of the people to live. I mean, live as the people of God in every way. Something has changed in Israel's story. And and the other interesting thing is it's not really being exclusively driven by a single leader. I mean, we've seen leaders all the way through. You know, there was Moses going, come on, we're going to get you out of Egypt and through the, all of them. Moses was a driving force there. And even the moment when, when Moses was going up on the mountain and God was going to speak to him and the people could come, the people said, no, 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 no we don't want to hear from God. We don't want to talk to God. Moses, you do it. We're not going to. You just tell us what God says. And, you know, later on, uh, um, um, Elijah, when he's on the top of Mount Carmel and, and calling the people, you got to choose. Are you going to worship Baal or are you going to worship the God of Israel? And they're like, mm, we're not going to say anything till we see where the fire lands, right? And then they finally, the fire falls. Oh, that's the God we're going to serve. And so, so there's been, and, and so they've always been a little bit driven by a leader, who, who goes first. And, and now there's, uh, then they were like, we want a king. Now there's no talk of that. There's no talk in it. There is no king. And there's no talk of a king. None of that is happening. There is established leadership. It's not just chaos. But there's also this choice that has been made now that God's people have made to themselves follow God wholeheartedly. They're the ones saying, would you, would you tell us what God's word says? They're the ones that are gathering together and praying. They're the ones that are saying, hey, let's do together what God's word says. Let's pull together and do this. Let's write down that we've committed. Let's do this. And, and, and there's a choice that has been made by God's people to follow God wholeheartedly. Does that mean they're perfect now? <laughs> no. There's never perfection. Always ongoing dealing with issues. Does it mean they never have a problem again? No. Because every generation has to make their choice. But for now, for now, they seem to have settled a bit in in their calling. And this is where we leave them. With a rebuilt temple and rebuilt walls, rebuilding their lives, 
as the people of God. And then after Easter, we'll pick up the story again. But I want to just talk to Evangel now, just for a couple minutes. Because several weeks ago, I shared with you uh, something that I felt um, that, that God, it seemed to me that God was saying for our church. And I shared it with you several times. I want to share it one more time this morning because I think it matters. God is calling this church to something deeper. Not just me, not just the pastor, not just the leaders, not just the older ones, not just those younger ones, all of us. And although, this is what I said several, a few times in the last couple months, although I can lead, I can't respond for anybody else. I can't respond for the congregation. I can't respond for you. I can only respond for me. And I said, I think it's time for, uh, to step out of what is comfortable and what is secure, in which evangel is like an easy chair where you just sit back and you're comfortable. It's like the old recliner in my office. It fits me and it feels good and my dog snuggles in beside me on it. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not a sin. There's nothing wrong with it except, except <laughs> we're not supposed to be a recliner. The church of God is not supposed to be a recliner sitting back and established and comfortable and just doing what we do. We're supposed to be like a rocket ship where we strap ourselves on and we hang on for dear life while God just launches us into a place we've never been, into something new, into something deeper, into some place that we've maybe never even dreamed about, and we just leave everything that's comfortable behind. And I have shared that with our congregation a few times over the last few months. I wanted to share it once more today, and I wanted you to hear me say uh, the part where I said, um, I can't respond for anybody else. I can only respond for me. And I've invited you to respond. I've invited our congregation, and many have responded. Maybe most of us have responded to what we think that God is saying. And, and so I just thought, is it okay? Could I just tell you some of what has happened in the last month? So I, in the last month or so at Evangel, um, I, I have had more, we have had more than I've seen before. Men coming and saying, can you tell us how to grow? Can you tell us how to go deeper in our faith? Can you tell me, how do I read scripture? Can you tell me, how do I pray? Can you tell me, how do I be a good husband? How do I be a good dad to my kids? How do I, how do I grow? How do I become a leader? How do I mentor somebody? How do I get mentored by somebody? And you go, Patty, why are you pointing that out? Because it's a little bit unusual. It's, it's, all, it's all, almost always much more common for women to respond. We have a lot more men than I think I've ever seen going, we want to know God. That's exciting. We have more and more people that are um, coming to us and, and coming to me and going, Pastor Patty, I just want you to know I, I've been praying more. Or I felt called to fast and pray, and I'm doing it with so-and-so over here. Or this person, we're doing it for this Bible study group that's happening. And you don't even know that each other is doing it, and we haven't done a formal call to prayer. It's just happening among the people. People are starting to fast and pray. 
We have, in the last month, new people stepping up and going, can I help? Can I be part of the work? Can I do some of what's happening on our worship team, in our Connect Cafe downstairs, in all kinds of different places? We have young adults. We have young adults that are going into hospitals and praying with people. Did you even know that? That's happening in the last month. And, and we have, you know, this Celebrate Recovery group that you just heard about. They've, ten leaders have gone through training, and they're ready to go. And we're going to start ministering through this Celebrate Recovery group. Can I just tell you something? I think, I think something is shifting at Evangel. It's good. It's good. And I want you to know, God has put a call out to this church, and we are responding we are answering God's calls. And you go, oh, that's great. Does that mean we're perfect now? <laughs> no. No. It's always stuff. And we'll always be dealing with stuff because we're people. That's why. And you go, well, does that mean, have we made it then? Okay, are we done going deeper now? Can we settle back again in our recliners? No. This is just the beginning because every generation is going to have to choose. But each one of us chooses and each one of us chooses not just once, but pretty much every day. I'm going to go deeper with God. I'm going to respond to God. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. But I just want you to know, we're not perfect, and we haven't fully arrived, but we are moving forward. And we are choosing, and we're moving, many of us, and something is shifting an evangel, and it's good. So I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. And, and I want to just pray a prayer over us again of commitment that you can, you can pray along with me if you want to. But just praying again, God, we know you've called us into something deeper, and we want to respond. We want to be who you've called us to be. I want to just take a few moments and just soak in that before we disperse again for the week. But before we do that, can I tell you one other piece that just starts to tie it all together? We've talked about Jeremiah the prophet. And now 100 or 150 years before this moment, he had prophesied, you're going to be in exile for 70 years, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, pray and work for the peace and prosperity of the city you're in, because if it prospers, you will prosper. All of that. And you know what he said after that? After that, he said, God's going to then bring you home. This is what he said. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And then you will call on me. And he was right, by the way. They did. They went to Ezra. Tell us what God's word says. They went to prayer. They went to obedience. He said, then you will call on me and you will come and pray to me and I will listen to you, God says. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And a hundred years later, there they are, seeking God, listening to God, praying to God, being and doing what he has called them to be and do. And God is hearing their prayer, and they are finding God. Can I tell you something? God knows the plans he has for evangel too. Plans for plans to prosper and not to harm. Plans for a hope and a future. He's inviting us to come and to call on him, to pray to God, 
so that he can listen to us, to, to seek him and find him when we seek him with all our hearts. Can we pray this morning? God, in the name of Jesus, one more time, we hear this word from you. We think it's a word from you that you are calling us to something deeper. God, we already see what you are doing. We see how you are moving on hearts. We see how you are raising up new ministries. We see how you are teaching us to pray. And you are putting a longing in our hearts to be the people of God that you've called us to be. So God, we pause one more time. And we say, God, we choose you. We commit to you. You are calling us to something deeper and we answer and we respond and say, God, we'll go. And For some of us, we don't, for most of us, we don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know for sure what that's going to mean. I don't know what it's going to mean. But there's something about taking that moment and going, God, where you lead me, I will follow. Where you call me, I will go. When, when something settles in our hearts and our souls that says, I, I am a daughter of God. I am a son of God. We are the people of God. We are the family of God. We are the church of God. And we together, all of us, are going to commit to living that out and to walking that out and to doing all, all that God has called us to do so that we can be people that carry God to our world, people that carry influence and that impact and even change history because we are following Jesus. So God, we make that commitment again today just in the quietness of this moment. I just want to pause because I think for some of you, God is just dropping some things into your heart and I don't want to miss that. So I'm just going to pause and let that happen for just a moment. Yeah. God, where you are pointing out sin, show us how to repent. Where you are dropping creative ideas, show us how to walk those out where you are calling for a deeper commitment or whatever that looks like. We take a deep breath and say, okay, God, I'm yours. God, would you keep us in this prayerful space even as we finish our service today? Would you help us as we walk out of here to carry Jesus well? to do good, to love each other, to reveal Jesus to the world that we live in, to our Persia, our Jerusalem. Help us to carry Jesus there and help us to be the people of God you've called us to be. And we will do it for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, everyone said together, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Would you make sure you say hi to somebody? Welcome somebody home. Go have a coffee in the Connect Cafe. Have a fantastic week. and We'll see you next Sunday.